Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Catholics with Bibles, a podcast dedicated to empowering Catholics to read, pray, and interpret sacred scripture with the eyes of faith and reason. I'm Chase Krause. And I'm Ryan Pollock. Let's dive in. Hola, como estas? Soy Chase. Uh, yo soy Ryan. <laughs> That's how I would say my name if I maybe, spoke Espanol. Maybe we should stick to Greek. I'd say it's Ryan, guys. <laughs> How's it going? Uh, Chase, did you have a good All Hallows Eve and All great. Saints and All Souls? Yeah, it was it was awesome. We took uh, Lena trick or treating for the first time. Yeah, yeah, it was. We joined up with uh, a couple friend of ours in Round Rock, and uh, we surround like local neighborhood there. And uh, I mean, Lena doesn't really know what's going on. She was a princess, which is adorable, and she we taught her to say trick or treat. She said thank you. And she moved on. We gave her literally only one piece of candy. She wasn't disappointed. She was happy no, with no, that. Well, we, we've never, we never give her candy uh-huh. ever, 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 ever. And so literally we gave her one lollipop and she just licked that as she walked around the entire night, totally satisfied. Didn't know what we were putting in her bag. Cause she's, we've never given her candy. And so that's it. And that's the only candy she's had since. And so now we have a bag of candy in the pantry that is she's not even night. interested in. No, she has no idea what it is. <laughs> she literally doesn't know what it is. So Judith was a, uh, she was Jesse from Toy Story, the, nice. the cowgirl. Nice. And uh, Graham was a banana. Swag. He was a banana Graham. <laughs> so we, his whole his whole life is going to be just pun costumes, which will be. That's good. Next year he'll be a cracker, you know. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. No, and then uh, for All Saints Day, Viva made. Uh, this really good pasta that she had some fancy name. Don't ask me. It was good though. And then she made this giant cheesecake. Arabiata. Yeah, sure. Um, and then she made a giant cheesecake that we that's your, that's your jam. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Cheesecake is, is all, I'm all about it. Um, but then the problem is you can't eat all the cheesecake in one day. I mean, you could, but we, it's hard to eat all cheesecake in one day. So naturally it took us a couple days to eat it. So Lena got dessert like four nights in a row, um, which she wasn't mad about. She's wired. She's wired. Dude. But the thing is, we, we wouldn't give her that much, but like she, we just don't give her sugar a lot. And so every time we gave her for like 15 minutes afterwards, just like literally Energizer Bunny, just running around in circles. And we're Love like, it. We're like, what, we, what did we do? Love it. We, on all souls, we made our first ofrenda. Oh, nice. Which we've never done. I mean, we're, we've only been Catholic for five minutes. Right. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah we, we, on our little home altar, we set up pictures of dearly departed um, family members and told our our kids about them and that's a good tradition we'll we'll keep that up See, I our think. problem is we don't have any physical pictures which is not an excuse because you can just print them out oh we we printed them off yeah oh, we yeah. don't have real pictures either yeah <laughs> it's like we're such millennials it's like we have no physical no actual pictures right yeah. right the only pictures i mean quite literally the only framed pictures in our house are jesus pictures saint pictures mary pictures or one literally one picture of Vive and I on our wedding day. Yeah. That's it. It's on your phone. Yeah, right? right. It's, it's, yeah. it's all there. Mm-hmm. We, we could print it out if we wanted to. Um, but anyway, so let's we're diving in uh, today to the gospel according to Mark. If you were Mark with was, us last time, you figured out that we're starting a new series here on the book of the, every book of the New Testament. So this whole series here is a New Testament intro. Of course, Mark comes next. Yep. Who did Matthew last week? That's how that works. That's right. That's right. Though scholarship tends to think that Mark came first these days, which we can we can get into a little bit, I it, guess. But, it's always uh, interesting to get into, I don't know if you've ever nerded out about this, but like why the Gospels are ordered the way they are, like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and how like originally they thought Matthew was first, they put him first, Mark second, but then other like church fathers were like, no, they did it like this way. It's like, it doesn't really, 
doesn't matter at all, essentially. Right. But it's always like fun to nerd out like on why they put the order the way they did. Um, I don't know if there's much thought went into the Gospels as in like the rest of the New Testament order wise. I might have put Mark first and not because I have any sort of preference for scholarship now versus back then, but just because it's so short and snappy. Yeah. And then the rest of the Gospels tend to build on it and expand on it. It's true. Uh, Mark, they also, they weren't really, they didn't really care too much about like the average layperson being able to read it. Sure. They would have heard it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. It's really just the priests that would have been able to actually read the Latin or the Greek or word yeah um but yeah so we're doing mark today um and we should start with the greek word of the day our what what did we say oh yeah 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 our greek word of the day <laughs> hold on a second <laughs> <laughs> i can't remember what it was that's right greek word of the day is ephtheos which means immediately and if you read the gospel of mark you're going to know that Mark kind of reads like a comic book almost. It's really yeah. short and snappy, and everything Jesus does is quick, fast, and in a hurry. Yeah, so the, the word immediately, or uthus, um, in the way I, I pronounce it, we were just talking about this earlier, it doesn't really matter. Um, immediately, it's used 40 times in the Greek. So when you read it in the English, you actually, if you try to count every time it uses immediately, you won't count to 40, um, because the translators stopped like translating it every single time because it grammatically it doesn't add to uh, the story the narrative that much and so the, so there's a lot of immediately still but if you actually count the English words you're not going to count to forty but if you use the Greek you'll you'll find forty um, just because like grammatically it's not always necessary um, you could argue that it's never actually necessary but like but Mark used a lot for his Roman audience which mm-hmm. brings us to who this was written for. That's right. Who is the Gospel of Mark written to? So Clement of Alexandria, old church father around the year 200-ish, says that uh, the Gospel of Mark was written to Christians in Rome. And uh, Eusebius, another church historian, tends to confirm this also. Uh, One reason is that there's just a whole lot of Latin in there Mm -hmm. that Jewish-speaking Christians in, let's say, somewhere that wasn't Rome would have a more difficult time with. Yeah. And then also uh, we have this a uh, few different like historical situations too. Well, one in Mark, he explains a lot of the Jewish words or customs, which in Matthew, we started last week that he doesn't do that because he assumes his audience. Um, but with Mark, one thing we have to remember is that arguably at the time Mark's gospel was written, there actually weren't a lot of Jewish Christians in Rome. Right, this was a weird community in Rome, and and you see this in Paul's letter too, right? Because it what happened was uh, after uh, Jesus rose from the dead, there was these riots in Rome, and there's like historical records of this. I think from uh, is it Josephus, the, the Jewish revolts, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Bar Kokhba, I believe. Yeah, well, so that was in Israel, but in Rome there was just oh, riots, sorry, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. there was uh-huh, riots uh-huh. because a Christus had risen from the dead, right? That's like a really obscure historical like data that we have from like. Uh, I think some kind of Roman record, I forget. Um, or is it Josephus? Anyway. Uh, Josephus talks about a, a certain Christus. Yeah, yeah. so it's Josephus. Uh-huh. And so literally the, the, there's a, this rioting in Rome among the, the Jewish population because of this, you know, some Christian, some Jewish people converting to Christianity and some not. And so what happened was, I forget the emperor at the time, um, but he basically expelled all of the Jews from Rome. But that didn't include the Gentile converts to Christianity because technically they weren't Jewish ethnically. And so you have this weird situation in Rome where really the only place in the new like Roman Empire at the time for Christianity where is really the church is made up of basically all Gentiles, right? There's no real Jewish 
uh, influence on the theological development or the thought processes, right? Which could be problematic. But so from so Mark is re, is reading or writing reading writing to this audience, and so he needs to write in such a way to keep their attention because they're Gentiles in Rome who need immediate action. Yeah, and, and he includes details that, of course, the other gospels don't mention. Like the, the, the there's that one instance where Jesus. And it's almost like Mark is winking to the Gentile audience, but uh, and in this place, Jesus declared all foods clean. You know, like, right. yeah, we know yeah, that yeah. you Gentiles don't worry about that anyway, but right. you know, it's okay too because Jesus said it. That's so. right. That's right. Yeah, because there wasn't at this time in Rome, uh, there for Mark's gospel, um, the circumcision party weren't like going around trying to do their thing yet, um, and so the gospel wasn't really. Like Mark wasn't overly worried about fighting the circumcision party. That was Paul later on down the road. But I don't even think in a Romans he's too worried about the circumcision party. That's more, more of a Galatians thing. Yeah, yep. yeah. Um, and so, so yeah. So and then with that date wise, arguably Mark was written written in, in the sixties ish, mm-hmm. soft ish. Mm-hmm. Yep, ish. Yep. Before seventy for sure. Yep, because that was the destruction of the temple. Just about everything I read seems to. Landed somewhere in the mid 60s. Yeah. I think the earliest I saw was like 55, but it was like there was no like reason. I think they just wanted to put it early. <laughs> um, but yeah, so somewhere in the 60s. So arguably one of the earlier gospels, if not the earliest gospel, but that's a different conversation. Um, yeah. Shall we talk about its division of content? Let's do it because we have two of them. This is interesting. So Chase and I divided this up, and it wasn't really us, but our, <laughs> uh, our research led us in different directions here, which is kind of interesting. So I have a more like chronological division of the content, and Chase has a more thematic one. So in mine, you have the ministry of Jesus in Galilee, which is in chapter 8. So uh, who is Jesus? John the Baptist asks, and John the Baptist is preparing the way there. So Jesus goes about Galilee. He's announcing the good news of the kingdom, defeating evil, inviting others to live under his reign, casting out demons and all that good stuff. He tells a couple of parables about the kingdom, one that's unique to Mark, and we can get into that. But basically the point of those parables is that the kingdom does not look like what you'd expect. Uh, the second division of content here is on the way to Jerusalem. So st- things start off in Galilee. Now they're going to Jerusalem. Jesus tells his followers three separate times that he's going to die. Uh, they imagine that getting in on this new kingship idea of Jesus is going to lead to them being wealthy and powerful and well-liked and respected and all of that. But Jesus tells them, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Then that section ends with the transfiguration. Part three is the arrival in Jerusalem with the Passion narrative. So um, we can talk about some of the distinctives there. And then Mark has a very distinctive, unusual ending. Which yeah. Which we can get so, into, too. Yeah, his ending's super weird. Um, so yeah, mine's more thematic. So we have this, we have, you know, book ending with the prologue and the, and the epilogue. Prologue being really just uh, Mark 1, 1 through 15. Basically, it's just preparations for the Messiah and his, and his forerunner, right? So right off the bat, we have Mark saying Jesus is the Son of God, right? And then, and then um, baptize, the baptism of Jesus and John, the testing of Jesus by Satan, and all this stuff. Uh, but so the, and then the epilogue is, yeah, the, the, the resurrection, the ending, um, in you know, chapter 16, 1 through 20. But really, the, the meat and potatoes of, of the, the distinction is uh, twofold. We have the public ministry of Jesus, right? So the Messiah's secret and the widespread ministry. And then we have the passion narrative, right? So the suffering Messiah and the passion week. So, and the reason it's split up into these two um, categories, other than the obvious location, is because the public ministry climaxes with uh, Peter's declaration of you are 
Christ, you're the Messiah, basically. And then the Passion Week narrative climaxes with the centurion's declaration of truly this is the Son of God. Yeah, so after in Mark where people just have such a hard time understanding what Jesus is, it's kind of punctuated by these, these two confessions. Right. Yeah. Like who, and so and that gets us into the theme of Mark as a whole. So, you know, there's, I guess, a lot of different things you can say, but I think overall the theme of Mark is the identity of Jesus, right? Yeah, Which you, yeah, could, you, right. could, you could arguably say about all the Gospels, but I think it's, it's most pressing in Mark. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. like, who is this guy? Yeah. Like, who is he? And, and if he's a king, which signs seem to be indicating that he's a king, what kind of king is he? Right. And what can you expect if you join in on his mission? Yeah. And, and ultimately, too, I mean, Mark writing to his Roman audience— he is punching Caesar in the face, almost <laughs> li- like, like... Yeah, tell us more about that. Well, so we have to remember, historically speaking, uh, all the Caesars would call themselves the sons of God. Yes. Because in like Caesar worship, it was kind of weird. So like while you were living, you weren't like really divine. You're like a semi-divine thing. But once you died, you became part of like the pantheon. Yeah, right. Of like right. gods. Because right. you were Caesar. Right. Right. So if you were the son of Caesar, and you are now Caesar, which means your dad died, you are the son of God. Mm-hmm. You are a son of a God, mm-hmm. at least, um, lowercase g. Um, and so with Gospel of Mark, the very first thing we read is Jesus, the son of God. And Paul does the same thing in Romans too, right? In, in, in his prologue. Um, and so Mark coming out, guns blazing to his Roman audience, being like, yo, I'm about to tell you about the actual Son of God, like the only one. <laughs> Unless you think this is just an ancient relic of the past that we don't have to worry about anymore. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I, I just thought of the uh, apotheosis of George Washington, that p- famous painting somewhere in D.C. where it shows, George, I, I can't remember where it is exactly, but it shows like George Washington ascending up into the pantheon Wait, to take his place among I the gods. I have God. never oh, seen yeah. this. <laughs> you've got you've to go look it up. It's delightful. I remember seeing it on my last D.C. trip, but I can't remember what? in which building it is. Oh, my um, God. I do remember it being high up on the ceiling. Yeah, but this idea that an important ruler uh, of men would one day ascend into the heavenly places is an ancient, ancient idea. Right. Yeah. 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 So anyway, Mark coming out thematically, you know, thematically, we're trying to figure out, okay, who is this guy? But he he tells us basically from the beginning, this is the son of God. Like, this is the true son of God, right? And so then the rest of uh, the gospel is just him trying to prove that or show it rather than prove it, really. Um, and so we have two kind of categories, I guess, thematically, right? We have the messianic secret, and then we have the sonship identity of Jesus. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about the messianic secret. So over and over again in Mark, you have Jesus casting out demons and healing people and doing really awesome stuff, demonstrating that the kingdom of God has come near. But then he says, don't tell anybody about it. He keeps telling people over and over again, okay, don't let this get out. Don't do it. Uh, And there's a couple of reasons for this. The first most obvious one is to avoid inflaming a kind of militaristic uprising. So if we think the Messiah has come and we believe the Messiah is a warrior king, this incites riots, it gets people all agitated, and it gets in the way of Jesus's ministry. But there's another purpose for that too. And it's to reveal the paradoxical nature of Jesus's mission here in his messiahship. You, hey, hey, everybody, you thought that the Messiah was going to come in, come in with horses and chariots and swords and destroy the Romans and all that. But the kingdom of God looks like suffering love. It looks like a suffering servant who gives his life as a ransom for many. If you want to be in on the Jesus thing, this is the kind of thing that you should expect. Right. 
Yeah. Yeah. And then going into, you know, Jesus's sonship, you know, um, and the, the sonship and the messianic secret are, are closely linked, but it's an important distinction because uh, being the Messiah didn't automatically make Jesus the son of God, right? There was Messiahs before. David was Messiah. Yep. Solomon was, every David died. Yeah, a, a political leader right. who, who also was a spiritual leader. Right, <laughs> exactly. So you could have, you know, David was the high priest and the king, right? Um, but it doesn't make him the, like, literal son of God. So Mark needs to make this distinction, right? And so obviously Mark 1, 1, son of God, the demons are aware of it, right? The demons are aware that he is a son of God. We have it in Mark 1, or Mark three eleven, Mark 5, 7. And then God, God the Father literally twice proclaims Jesus as his sons in the theophany of the baptism. Baptism um, and transfiguration, yeah, right? Two yeah, times yeah. where that happens. Uh-huh. Yeah. So um, that's called a theophany. So theophany is basically just uh, an appearance of God in scripture. Um, and so in the New Testament, so in the Old Testament, we have, you know, the pillar of fire. We have the cloud. Um, we have the burning bush. These are all theophanies. Um, there's probably, is there the famous theophanies besides those? Like the, and then the three angels, I guess, in Genesis, potentially. Yeah. No, those are hot button ones for yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, so in the New Testament, any theophany is actually always Trinitarian in nature. So there's always God the Son, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit. So the baptism of Jesus, we have Jesus the Son, God the Father's voice, and usually like a dove representing the Holy Spirit, yep. right? Um, and so, and even and even with um, the transfiguration, we have God the Father's voice, the cloud being the Holy Spirit, and Jesus the Son. So all the theophanies in the New Testament inherently are Trinitarian in nature. Huh, I don't think I've, I don't think I've thought about that before. That's Watch out, learning something new on Catholics <laughs> hey, with Bibles. Hey, maybe I shouldn't admit that. I shouldn't, <laughs> shouldn't show my cards here. Oh, no. I knew all that already. That's right. Of course, we know everything about the Bible. <laughs> that's what we're talking about. Um, but yeah, so the sonship, you know, and Jesus, you know, himself, you know, definitely affirms it throughout the gospel. Um, there's some argument among some punk scholars about how Jesus never really said he was the son of God and blah, 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 blah. Um, and he never said he never said he was God, I should say, right. like in the literal sense. But right. like and then because they, they, they always dismiss like offhand, they dismiss John as in like, no, no, you can't. You can't count John. It's the, it's the boring, old, tired critique of the trying to pit the Christ of history over right. against the Christ of faith, yeah. which is like, how do you even know about Jesus if it isn't because of the church, you clowns? Right, like, exactly. Where else yeah. are these Gospels coming yeah. from? Yeah, and, so, and then, so the argument basically says that if you just look at the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, Jesus never literally says he is God, and that Christian tradition, in particular the Catholic Church, uh, committed eisegesis. We read into it, right? We, we put uh, Jesus' divinity into scripture without it actually having been there. Uh, uh, eisegesis, does that mean Jesus was cold? Exactly. I see, I see I see Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> is that what that means? <laughs> it means you're reading into the text. Exegesis right. is you're getting something out of the text. Extra um, Jesus? I thought there was only one. <laughs> I thought there's only one Jesus. Yeah, there's, well, you know, he's clearly two different people because he's divine and human, right? Like, <laughs> heresy! No. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so basically, but this doesn't, this doesn't hold much weight because if you look at the gospels, um, especially in light of the old Testament, Jesus acts as a divine role. When he raises the dead, he forgives sins. Um, he walks on water. He calms the, st- the, the storms at sea. And if you look at any of these passages in comparison to the old Testament, these, all these attributes are attributed to God and God alone. Right? So even if Jesus doesn't say, Hey, I am God, he, he claims it, right? And, and the gospel writers clearly 
are linking him mm-hmm. of having mm-hmm. God's authority. Let, should we talk about this one little Markan distinctive here? So he talks about parables that reveal the hidden nature of the kingdom, and there's one that's only in Mark, one version of this parable that's only in Mark, and that's the one about the seed that grows into a full crop overnight. So the version of this parable that you're probably most familiar with comes from the other Gospels where Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a, a sower that puts seed in the ground and it find, finds rocky soil and good soil and all that. But this one in particular, uh, I don't think gets a whole lot of play, and it's a really good one. <laughs> so this one says that the seed, the kingdom of Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a seed that a farmer plants, and then the very next day it grows up into a huge harvest overnight. And if you know anything about farming, that's not how it works. No plants grow. My backyard would love that if that happened. Yeah, we <laughs> sure wish that it worked like that, yeah. but it doesn't. And he also contrasts that with uh, the parable of the mustard seed, which is in other Gospels. A mustard seed is a very, very tiny seed. You can uh, you can actually see them at like places like Central Market or Whole Foods, places where they sell esoteric groceries. But it's a really tiny seed, and Jesus talks about how it, it grows up into a huge, massive tree that everybody's so impressed with. What's the point of all that? The point is that Jesus' kingship is not like the kingships that we see in the world. In the same way that this isn't typically how farming works, and Um, A mustard seed is not what you would expect to grow up into a large tree. So it will be with the kingdom of God. Jesus' rule and reign is going to surprise people, especially the people who thought that they could get rich or get powerful or get influential based on joining his mission. Yeah. And so I guess um, you want to round off today's episode with talking about the uh, weird ending of Mark. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So I I, want to read it. Uh, just so, I mean, it's not very long, so bear with me um, as I read it. But um, so as I'm, as I'm reading it, you know, if, if you're listening to this, try to find where like the breaking point is, if you will. Um, and then we'll talk about why the ending of Mark is weird, why it's debatable, how it changed and all that stuff. Yeah, tell us the verse numbers um, too. So, well, I'm going to start just at 16. So okay. 16, one. Yeah. Um, so we read this. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, they went to the tomb when the sun had risen. And when they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the door of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone was rolled back for it was very large. And I'm going to skip down a little bit here. And and they saw the angels and all this stuff. And they went out and fled from the tomb because they were afraid for trembling and astonishment had come upon them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. Verse 9, now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. But when they heard and he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. After this, he appeared in another form to two of them. And then in verse 14, afterwards, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they sat at table and he upbraided them for their unbelief and hardness of heart um, because they had not believed Uh, those who had saw him risen in verse 19. Um, So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. For they went forth and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by the signs that attended it. Amen. Um, So I skipped a few verses there, but you got the general gist. 
Now, the, the earlier versions, though, of Mark's gospel, and a good Catholic Bible should show this to you, yeah. the early versions of Mark's gospel cut off when it says that the women don't tell anybody because they're afraid. Yeah, uh, verse 8. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the, first, the early manuscripts of Mark's gospel that we have stop at verse 8. Yeah. So they stop at this line. Which, uh, that this totally kind of changes the, the nature of the thing, right? Right. So uh, throughout Mark's gospel, the disciples are kind of lame. <laughs> they're, <laughs> they're constantly misunderstanding Jesus, getting everything wrong. And then it ends with this note of uh, two women witnessing the resurrection and literally just being too afraid to do anything about it. Yep. So it kind of leaves an open-ended part there for the reader to say, what are you going to do, pal? Are you yeah. going to be like all of Jesus' disciples and just like cower in fear? Right. Uh, but if you take that second ending, it really changes the nature of it. Right? Yeah. And, and, and truly, you can call this two endings because, yeah, verse 8, and they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had come upon them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Hard stop. And then verse 9 says, now, when he rose on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene. Like, this is very, like, it's almost repeating the story from a different angle. Yeah. Right? So yeah, it's, yeah. it's pretty obvious that this is something called, um, well, you could call it redact- redaction criticism, redactive criticism, redactive criticism. Yeah, it just means um, there was a later editor. Yeah. And so, um, so the question then arose at the Council of Trent, um, whether this, uh, this second ending was canon, um, which is a valid, like, concern. Sure. Like, you yeah. don't want... But at the same time, they, they recognized it was canon because it did appear in, it still is in early manuscripts, right? It's just some of the early manuscripts don't have this second ending, but there are some that do, mm-hmm. right? And none of it is contrary to the faith. None of it is contradictory to the other gospels. And so at the Council of Trent, they were just like, no, this be canon, which is interesting because that meant for like, you know, 1500 years, they didn't know if that ending was canon. Mark was canon. But like, yeah, sure. That ending was just like, well, we don't know. Well, and it really depends on which manuscript tradition you had. You right. might never have even heard about the second ending yeah. there. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. But, I, but I think it's cool, especially when remembering that, you know, Mark is Greco-Roman biography. And basically all Greco-Roman biography was about the person who was written trying to inspire something in the audience, though. Right. And so that with without the second ending, like you said, it's supposed to inspire something in the reader. Right. Yeah. Um, it's like a cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, but uh, but yeah. Oh, you know, one thing we never talked about: who Mark? Who's the author of Mark? Did we not talk about? We, who, I think I think, who Mark I think was? we totally skipped it. Oh man! <laughs> Whoopsies. Maybe we, we, we should, got like we got like two minutes. Maybe we should edit that out here. Okay. Did we not talk about the authorship of the Gospel of Mark? Of course, like the other Gospels, the Gospel of Mark is anonymous. But you might remember that we talked last time about this church historian named Papius, which, Pappy. which Chase affectionately nicknamed Pappy, and that's a, that's a great name for him. But from Papius, we have this record that this Gospel was written by a fellow named Mark, who, as the later New Testament attests, was a disciple of... St. Peter. Pete, and he, Pete. And he's the one who, who wrote this thing down. Yeah. So uh, Mark or John Mark. Um, so Mark was his Latin name. John was his Hebrew name. So arguably, this was a convert to Jew- Ju- Judaism, who was a Gentile, which means, you know, snip, snip, um, but that later converted to Christianity. Um, and so, so argue, you, you, you could argue reasonably that the gospel of Mark is actually just Peter's gospel. Right. Sure, I've heard that um, before. Yeah, yep. yeah. So, and especially when you compare it to how Peter presents the gospel in the book of Acts, right? Um, chronologically, Mark's gospel is almost the exact same as the way Peter presents it, right? So, um, but yeah, 
Anyway, do we have any good um, further reading resources for our, for our gang today? What do you got for him? Mary Healy. I was just about to say Mary that. Healy. Mary Healy. She has She's a our gal. Awesome yep. commentary. Yep. Um, Catholic commentary on sacred scripture. They use different authors for every book, but that is arguably one of their best. Mm-hmm. It's Mary Healy. Mm-hmm. And totally unrelated, she has a pretty good book on the charismatic gifts, if, oh, you're, if you're into that sort of thing, too. So, yeah, definitely want to recommend Mary Healy. John Donahue's another uh, good Catholic commentator on the Gospel of Mark. Uh, R.T. France is not Catholic. He's an Anglican clergyman, but uh, he wrote a terrific, hefty historical critical commentary rt france on the gospel of mark in so read that one with mary healy yeah read him <laughs> read him in tandem for read his and then read mary's to to figure out who's, yeah what's right <laughs> so yeah mary i think mary healy's uh man yeah i think that's been my favorite gospel of mark commentary just because she's so academically excellent um but so faithful like in her handling of scripture Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really, really good. Yeah, the uh, we want to be careful how we talk about and how we study scripture. It's not like it's not like um, I don't know. This is just a thing that we can take apart and diagram and examine, like we're doing an autopsy on a right. Like you're in uh, chemistry or biology class and you're dissecting the the piglet or something. <laughs> like uh, yes, we want to take it apart and look at its constituent bits. But as Catholics, we understand that the Church has preserved this for us and announced it as sacred scripture. So it helps when our commentators and researchers come to the text with those same That's presuppositions. Right. For Method sure. C. It's all about that method C. Method C. Um, I don't know what that is. You'll have to tell me about that sometime. I feel like we've talked about it so much on the show. I've heard you say it a lot, but yeah. I didn't want to admit in public that I didn't know what it was. All right, method well, C. Well, in the podcast, and then I'll, I'll school Ryan real Cliffhanger. Quick. Um, <laughs> dot, dot, dot. All right, y'all. Well, thanks for joining us on this week's episode of Catholics with Bibles. My name is Chase. I'm Ryan. And we'll see you next time. God bless. Alrighty, everybody. Well, thank you so much again for joining us this week on Catholics with Bibles. I wanted to ask everybody, if you haven't already, give us a review on whatever you're listening. If you're on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, by giving us a review, by giving us five stars, hopefully, it helps other people find us easier. Because if you just type in the word Catholics and Bibles on Google right now, odds are our podcast is not going to be the first thing that pops up. So give us a review, share with your friends and family, and we'll see you next time on Catholics with Bibles. God bless.